the banking crisis is not over. We continue to see hints of it. We continue to see evidence of it ongoing all throughout the global economy, all throughout the banking system, all throughout financial indications. China's yuan plummeting again down to 724 thereabouts to the dollar today. Even if we don't have another bank fail in the United States or outside the United States for that matter, that doesn't mean that everything has gone back to normal and the economy's just fine and we can we can ourselves go back to talk talking about soft landing and no landing scenarios. On the contrary, as I said this weekend, a couple of videos that the couple of most recent videos that we did, the economy seems to have turned a corner, and I don't mean that in a good way, nor do I mean that in an inflationary way. It seems to have accelerated to the downside, and the reason why is because the banking crisis is not over. We're beginning to see the outlines, the leading parts of the dreaded credit crunch playing a substantial role in accelerating to the downside. We talked about the PMIs last week for June, our first glimpse at what's going on in the month of June. They were awful ugly. Here's another one, another set of data today. This one from Germany. Germany, a key bellwether economy that tells us a lot about what's going on in the global economy, as well as, in this case, the potential impact and fallout from the banking crisis and credit crunch. We can, we can tie these things together and put them together so that we know one thing is happening to the other, which tells us about what we should expect around the rest of the world, including the United States, as we'll get to later on. But in Germany, today we got the IFO survey or the results of the IFO survey, which suggest acceleration to the downside. Now remember the story in Europe. Europe was going to survive last year. In fact, they did survive last year, did not ex end up experiencing the worst of the electricity crisis. On the contrary, it's, it, uh, the, because the winter ended up being relatively mild, electricity prices, energy prices fell rather sharply, and sentiment rebounded, in particular consumer sentiment, but also business sentiment. People started to think, okay, we survived the worst case, therefore 2023, maybe not going to be off, maybe it's not going to be uh, tremendously positive, but at least it won't be as nasty and negative as many were fearing. And so combined with China reopening, that rise in sentiment produced a little bit of a rebound in the economy, at least for a little while. And we can see that in the IFO numbers as well as any of the other numbers that we've talked about, including the S&P Global PMIs. But specifically, Germany's IFO, the Business Climate Index, fell to 88.5 in the month of June from 91.5 in May, and it had been 93.4 in April. So since April, or leading up to April, we had the rebound from a low of 85.1 last October, and then now we're rolling over and rolling over rather sharply. 88.5 is not a good number, just barely above last October's low. The current conditions number, which suggests that the current conditions, unlike the business climate or expectations index, didn't really change all that much. As, as positive as sentiment had become, at least relatively speaking, in the, in the early parts of this year, current conditions and the assessment of current conditions never really change all the much. The current number, 93.7, that's down from 94.8 and as high as 95.5 in March, but only a little bit above the low of 93.3 hit last November. The expectations number 
Again, that was down as low as, as low as 76 and a half last September. It rebounded all the way to 91.7 in April. But since April, we've fallen to 88.3 and now all the way to 83.6. So even the optimism that showed up last year in the wake of surviving the, the worst case scenario, that has rolled over and accelerated to the downside too. Why? The credit crunch. As optimism was rising in Europe and other places too with consumer price and producer price pressures falling, those headwinds were replaced by an even greater headwind in the form of the banking crisis and credit crunch, which we can see throughout the data. We can see it in the banking system data as well as the economic statistics that continue to come in, which we're going to go over in just a minute. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available where we go through the background details of the monetary system, what it is, why it's so important, as well as research subscriptions. We have subscriptions available at Markets Insider Pro. I contribute a daily briefing. That's a partnership research bundle with Mr. Stephen Van Meter and Tracy Schuchart, as well as a deep dive analysis. I do a deep dive every day on these topics, money and macro, how those two things fit together or don't fit together, what they mean for today, and maybe what it'll tell us about what to expect for tomorrow. Information on research and subscriptions and memberships, eurodollar.university. The problem in Europe as well as Germany We've been talking about it all along. I mean, first of all, we didn't expect much out of the rebound in sentiment. And one reason why was because we could already tell there was problems in the banking system. We could tell there was going to be problems. The yield curves, remember? Curves throughout Germany. They had inflected last October and especially November and beyond, which suggested inside the banking system, inside the monetary system, participants were beginning to become more and more pessimistic. And as they were pessimistic, this wasn't like a sentiment indicator where they're just telling a survey, a surveyor that they're more pessimistic. They were acting on that pessimism in the form of hedging. And if you're hedging to the point that we see curve inversions in Germany and elsewhere, what else are you doing to sort of batten down the hatches, preparing for rougher times and more difficult times to come? Well, we know that what they were doing, we saw the credit statistics, a European loan data that like sentiment or like, like the yield curve, unlike sentiment, European loan data had inflected last October, November too, coincident, but not coincidence with what happened in the yield curve. So the banking system had already taken steps last fall to begin preparing for more difficult times this year, even before we got to March and the global banking difficulties with Credit Suisse, uh, which, which, which is more appropriate to Europe or more tied to Europe. So we saw especially lending to businesses since October, which has gone down slightly. So not only is it not growing, which is already a contraction, the fact that it has outright contracted in absolute terms tells you again, credit crunch in particular to businesses who are going to be struggling regardless of what they say about sentiment or what anybody says about sentiment. IFO, consumer sentiment indicators, whatever the case may be. European banks were already turning negative, already restricting their balance sheet capacity and balance sheet activities even before we got to March. 
And it wasn't rate hikes. Instead, they told us, and they told the European Central Bank in the European Central Bank's bank lending survey not to expect much from credit. Uh, the most recent results from the first quarter that were released early in May, we've gone over those before, but it's worth reminding ourselves again. The survey was conducted between March 22nd and April 6th, so just in the aftermath of Credit Suisse. And what the survey said was, in the April 2023 BLS, or Bank Lending Survey, Euro area banks indicated that their credit standards for loans or credit lines to enterprises tightened further substantially in the first quarter of 2023, even before we got to Credit Suisse. From a historical perspective, the pace of net tightening in credit standards remained at the highest level since the Euro area sovereign debt crisis in 2011. The tightening was stronger than banks had expected in the previous quarter and points to a persistent weakening of loan dynamics. So again, we had rising sentiment, which everybody, quote unquote everybody, certainly governments, certainly central bankers and economists pointing toward this resilient economy. They expected this rising sentiment from having escaped the worst case scenario to carry the economy through the rest of this year, if not become inflationary or contribute to inflationary problems. When on the exact opposite side of it, the banking system said, we're thinking the exact opposite. We're thinking that we need to become even more defensive and not just thinking about it, we're actually doing it. And so rising sentiment along with China reopening had this temporary, temporary effect on the European economy, mostly that quickly dissipated, especially in the aftermath of March, because banks said, if you thought we were defensive before, we're going to be even more defensive going forward. We'll find out this week more data on European loans. We'll get the update for the month of May, but we don't necessarily need it. It's good for confirmation, but we can see what's going on in the real economy, not just in the sentiment indicators like IFO or the PMIs like uh, S&P Global last week. The economy is accelerating to the downside because the credit crunch is developing and accelerating to the downside too. As I said, this is not just a European thing or one place or another, we can, we can see it happening all over, the United, all over the world, including the United States. Last week's H8 data from the Federal Reserve on commercial banks, I think emphatically points to the same credit problems that have developed since, more so since March in the US than in Europe, which goes back further. But even so, even before March, you could see the cracks developing in the US credit system. So we're going to look at the H8 data, commercial bank data, but we're going to break it down by three-month segments so we don't get caught up in the monthly noise. We don't really necessarily have to worry about seasonal adjustments. Three-month segments are good enough that uh, we, can, we can make some reasonably uh, solid conclusions about what banks are doing collectively on their balance sheets and some, some, uh, some indication about why that might actually be. So we start out with bank credit, which is the, the overall balance sheet. That's the amount of securities that they have. That's the amount of loans, sort of the earning assets that banks put out there, what they're, what they're using their balance sheet capacity for in terms of loans and securities, debt and credit. In the three months between the middle of September and the middle of December, bank credit expanded by half a trillion, $512.3 billion. So despite rate hikes in that period, Banks were still expanding their balance sheet, more lending than securities, but either, either way, 
expanding their balance sheet, expanding bank credit. Between December and March, however, bank credit only expanded by 80 billion. So a massive downshift in the expansion of bank credit activities. And then of course, between the middle, middle of March and the middle of June, the latest data, bank credit has actually contracted by over $300 billion. So bank credit fell sharply in the second half of March and it hasn't come back. In fact, it's gone down a little bit further. So banks over the last quarter, the three months since the middle of March, since the banking crisis erupted, are still living in the banking crisis. The farther we go that banks don't expand their activities, forget about even just contracting more, the farther we go without them doing anything other than just standing still, that's a bigger and bigger contraction all its own. We see it in securities, uh, securities in the De September to December quarter, the amount of securities, banks added about a quarter trillion in securities during that period. But then December to March, they started selling securities, not because of rate hikes, but because the liquidity environment and the deposit flight and migration had accelerated. So even before we got to the March banking crisis, banks were selling securities to the tune of $100 billion on net. That's a huge, huge decline. And then we had a $211 billion, $212 billion security net selling in the latest quarter, so between mid-March and mid-June. So they're still selling securities. Why? Because the liquidity environment, the deposit environment is still highly negative. Banks are being defensive. They're selling securities, which is depressing bank credit, and they're also not lending for the same reasons. Loans and leases. Loans and leases rose by a little bit less than a quarter trillion in that September to December three-month period. Loans and leases rose by about 180 billion in the December to March period, so only a small deceleration despite rate hikes. And then in March to June, loans and leases have actually contracted by $56 billion. They fell sharply, they kind of rebounded a little bit, then they're down a little bit, but mostly sideways. But sideways after a large decline is again itself a contraction. The economy needs loans and leases to continually expand and we're going in the wrong direction. That's the credit crunch. And in particular, who's getting loans or who's not getting loans? Um, when you break down loans and leases by category, what you see is that commercial and industrial loans, those had increased by 51 billion in the September to December quarter. They only increased by 13.1 billion in the first quarter, so December to March, middle of March, which was already a deceleration, already telling you the economy has turned, already telling you that banks are looking at their cyclical portfolios and saying, We've had enough there tightening lending standards, but then in the three months to the middle of June, so Mar middle of March to the middle of June, commercial industrial loans have fallen by 70 billion. Credit crunch, just like in Europe, and we're seeing the results of that in the real economy. Commercial real estate, the one that we're all talking about, but nobody wants to admit there's gonna be a huge problem or few people want to admit. Commercial real estate lending, that increased by 44.8 44 billion September to December, then accelerated, believe it or not, 62.6 billion added between December last year and March of this year. And then since March, commercial real estate loans have been zero, just $400 million increase. So most lending is coming out of commercial industrial loans, 
while commercial real estate lending has come to a standstill. And it's the latter that's going to continue to be a huge problem in markets and banks, which is only going to contribute to more of the same credit crunch that we see in the cyclical numbers like commercial and industrial loans. And eventually it will hit consumer lending too. There's an article last week in Bloomberg. It said the creeping rot inside commercial real estate is like a dark seam running through the global economy. Even as stock markets rally and investors are hopeful that the fastest interest rate increases in a generation will ebb or even turn around. The trouble in property is set to play out for years, maybe even in a shorter condensed time frame. Major institutional owners, including Blackstone, Brookfield, and PIMCO, have already chosen to stop payments on some buildings because they have better uses for their cash and resources. There's significant stress, says Harold Bordwin, a principal in New York at Keene Summit Capital Partners, which specializes in renegotiating distressed real estate. People don't give up assets so easily unless they just don't see any hope and they recognize that they're pretty well underwater. It's not just commercial real estate. It's not just commercial and industrial loans. It's not just the banking system. We're locked into this credit crunch process where the worse the economy becomes, the more banks say they have to take, take steps, defensive steps on their balance sheets, the more they cut back, the more it becomes a problem in commercial real estate, which forces banks to cut back, the more it becomes a problem in commercial industrial loans, the more businesses start to think they need to fire workers, and on and on and on we go. We saw the economy accelerate to the downside. In fact, the Chinese told us it was happening, the changing economic landscape, and we can see it in the banking system and the credit crunch. As China's yuan plummets to another, another low level, 724 to the dollar, that's also related to everything that we're talking about here because it's not just one place or another. This is a global environment and a global environment that's being impacted negatively by all of these things and increasingly all at the same time and also at an accelerating pace. We're heading toward the 2008 style scenario and we're getting to the point where it's becoming harder and harder and harder to ignore it. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, sincere thank you, all the Eurodollar University research subscribers, marketsinsiderpro.com research subscribers, and of course, always a thank you to the Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.